Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, the road to recovery from drug or alcohol abuse can be difficult to stay on. And Brian Broom should know. Today, he's a celebrated speaker, the award-winning author of Punch Me Up to the Gods, and even a columnist for the Washington Post. But when he started this journey, he didn't see any of that coming. Brian's sobriety, like many other people in Pittsburgh, wasn't an easy road. He's here to tell us all about the highs, the lows, and everything in between. It's Wednesday, August 3rd. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. So, Brian, how long have you been sober? It's been nine years. Congratulations. Thank you. I didn't think that would ever happen. I remember going um, to my first support group meeting and, you know, there were people who were doing like the lead, they were leading the meeting and they were talking about how they had been clean for uh, 25 years or 15 years or whatever, like long stretches of time. And I remember thinking like, they're lying. Like I thought they were lying. I was like, cause I couldn't even conceive of going a day without being high. Like, and so now here at the nine year mark, you know, I'm one of those people that I thought was lying. <laughs> I'm going to give you the obligatory, how did you do it? No, not the how did you do it? <laughs> you know, I don't follow a traditional, I, I didn't follow the traditional sort of like AA path, but I did take a lot from AA. One of the most important things I think is a very simple one. Like I wake up in the morning and the first thing I say is not today. Um, not today, meaning like I'm not going to use today. It, it's kind of a mind trick, <laughs> you know, because the, you know, the, the uh, implicit in that is maybe tomorrow, you know, but, but not today, you know. So um, I've been doing that every morning for nine years, like not today. And it sort of sets the tone for the day. And that's how I've been doing it. And also just trying to unburden myself um, with, you know, my anxiety issues, my depression issues, my ADHD issues, you know, just trying to find healthy outlets for those. And people tend to think that getting sober, you have to hit just this one horrible rock bottom Hmm. or, you know, you have this like come to Jesus moment where you're in the gutter and (laughs) Yeah. Somebody hands you a pamphlet or something. Yeah. And and you're on your way to sobriety. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I I think that's probably true for some people. But I, you know, looking back, I probably had a lot of rock bottoms, um, you know, and each one to different degrees of rock and bottom. Like I hit a point and I was like, wow, I am just I'm exhausted. Like I am so tired of the way my life is going. Um, And. Um, I didn't, I mean, I didn't decide to go to rehab on my own. There was an incident (laughs) that I would define as a rock bottom incident. And I was there for a few days and I just remember thinking, God, you know, I am so tired. It was the first time I had been sober for more than 24 hours, you know? And uh, it was at that point it started to sink in. Like, I think I'm really exhausted and I'm doing life wrong. Like, I should probably try something else because what I'm doing isn't working. Do you do you remember and do you care to share, like, what that moment was that you were like, oh, I got I to gotta get my shit together? I 
Remember when I went to um, rehab, which was uh, Greenbrier, um, in in Washington County. Like I said, I thought I was fooling everybody, um, and I was in a room with this guy who snored. He just snored like a tractor, like, and I was tossing and turning, and I was like, I gotta get out of here. This is ridiculous. Like, you know. So I, in the middle of the night, I. I went to the front desk, like I walked down the hall to the front desk and I, there was a nurse on duty and I said to her, like, look, this has been great, <laughs> but I got to get, I got to get out of here. I want you to call. I want you to give me my phone back because they take your phone. I want you to give me my phone back so I can call my friend to come get me. And she was like, no. Um, and she looked me, I mean, it was the first time I think anybody had really like, it was like she looked through me. Um, and she said, you look terrible. Like, and she was like, and you wouldn't believe how many people come to me and say, you know, help me get out of here. And she was like, just give it a couple of days. Give it a couple of days. I remember very clearly, like she was looking me right in my eyes, give it a couple of days. And she said, you're going to die. You know, I can just see it. And um, that was the moment where I was like, I'll give it a couple days. And I gave it a couple days and I gave it the whole stretch. And then at the end, I didn't want to leave. <laughs> no, I, um, I didn't know rehab was a thing. I knew starlets went to rehab. I mean, I knew some girls from my high school, but they were white. You know, they went to rehab like at a very young age. But I always assumed, which I, I was eventually, but like that you had to basically be like in a gutter. You know what I mean? Like you have to it has to right. be the last resort for you to go to rehab. Um, yeah. Did you know anybody or like were you familiar with what was going to happen? You know, I I'm trying to think of what my attitude was toward rehab before I went. You know, it was. um a shameful thing, definitely. I think black people in America, generally, I don't think we talk about mental health enough. I think it is always this sort of um, attitude, well, get stronger. You know, you, you're black in America, you need to be strong. You need to be strong, you need to be resilient. Um, and the idea of getting help for your problems gets conflated with weakness. Um, it may be like that in a lot of cultures, but I, I definitely feel like it's that way um, for black Americans. Absolutely. Um, so the idea of going to rehab for me was like, oh, well that's, you know, like you said, it's for, uh, you know, Hollywood, pampered Hollywood people who can't take it or whatever. They have everything in the world and they all they want to do is, you know, I never saw myself going there. I never thought I never saw myself as needing to go. Never um, saw yourself as an addict. No, not ever. No, um, it was always this. You know, I'm just partying too hard. I need to slow down. It was never stop. Do you like to dance? Look at beautiful art. 
Eat Gourmet Snacks People Watch will mark your calendars for Friday, June 7th for one of my favorite parties in Pittsburgh. It's Mattress Factory's 25th Garden Party. The theme this year is make-believe, and it's all to celebrate and support the creatives in our community. There's going to be live music, an open bar, an art auction, and probably my favorite, the costume contest. Trust me, I will be judging yins, and so will everyone else there. Be playful, be imaginative, explore your magical realm, because this is a theme party. You want to come dressed to impress. You must be 21 and up to attend, and rest assured, every Every dollar raised goes directly towards supporting the museum, its art, its education, and all of its community outreach initiatives. Get your tickets now to the 25th Mattress Factory Garden Party. They are in our show notes and online at mattress.org. I know about being broke and then hanging out with people that you don't even want to hang out with because yep. you want to use uh, or just drink. And God. I don't even like people that much. Yeah, I don't. I hate people. This is one thing I've learned. I I used to think I was a people person, but what I am is a drug and alcohol person because <laughs> I would like I would be so social. Like when the drugs were flowing, I'd be like, oh yeah, well going to places, whatever. When I knew there were going to be drugs there, but now absent drugs and alcohol i'm like i just want to stay at home by myself and read my book fuck these people i can't stand them you know i used to think that was like my best self just cocaine and and molly self that was the best morgan really yeah really i thought i was just so cool on it i thought it made me like so relaxed and so malleable and And you felt cool I finally felt like I fit in. Like, yeah, you know, like exactly it, right. I didn't like people really. It's right. not even people that I don't like. It's just, I'm not that social. Right. Yeah. Do you think that that's like anxiety based or oh, no? I'm, I'm riddled with anxiety. Yeah, me too. Riddled with And that's it. the thing. It's like people, I, like I was saying earlier, like, um, you know, I remember people saying to me, why can't you just stop partying? Stop partying, grow up, stop partying. And I always thought to myself, like, this does not feel like I'm partying, like this feels necessary in a way that I can't explain this, com- this, this compulsion to do this. But, and I realize now, you know, that I was fighting anxiety. The last thing I could do when I was drunk and coked up was be anxious. You know, I, 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 I think I wrote about it once in like doing drugs and, and drinking for me was like s- somebody throwing a bucket of water on a pile of burning leaves. Like it was just like, and it was gone. And that's why I wanted to stay that way. Not because I was partying, you know, I mean, that was part of it, I guess. But like, it was because something was being removed, not added. I found a lot more empathy for people suffering with addiction since coming to the acknowledgement that I have my own. Um, So yeah, I've, I've, I found getting sober in Pittsburgh to be very isolating. You think? Um, just, well, being black and getting yeah. sober in Pittsburgh. I have so many things I want to say. Yeah, it's just very dismissive and invalidating of, you know, we have, I feel like, an extra layer right. um, to oh, yeah. our, our journey in sobriety that is not acknowledged in Pittsburgh and they don't want, and not even just in Pittsburgh, but like they don't want you to acknowledge it. They don't want you to be in the rooms and talk about how your race has in some way impacted. Right. Um, I'm also a gay man too. So there was another layer added. Um, When 
I first started going to meetings, I went to LGBTQIA plus meetings. Um, and there was, that had its own issues, right? Like people were hooking up. Um, and then I met racist gay people, <laughs> right? And I was like, well, shit, I have not found Nirvana. It's like a screeching halt. Yeah, absolutely. And I was like, well, well, then I started going to, and at the, I don't know if, if the black meetings still exist in Pittsburgh because it took me one meeting. Uh, I, I went to maybe a couple, maybe. I, I'm, I'm selling myself short. It was a black meeting, and it was all Christian-based. It was all God-based. and that It was like going to church. And I'm not a religious person, um, and I'm also gay, which also kind of made me uncomfortable, you know, because... Um, the people in that space did not appreciate that. So I was like, you know, where, where do I go? You know, I find it tremendously disappointing when I go to meetings and I encounter racism because I still, there's still that naive part of me that's like, we can't be racist. We all have the same problem. We can't be racist. We are all gay. We can't be racist. We're all addicts, you know? Um, and every time I encounter a person who, who defies that for me, I am a little bit crushed. Yeah. And as you say, it's isolating. And what I chose was to kind of embrace the isolation. So you you started writing in in rehab. In rehab, yeah. What were you doing professionally? I'll, I'll be general. I was working for a roadside assistance company. Everybody there was miserable, fluorescent lighting. And I had a, I probably shouldn't say this either, but whatever, I don't work there anymore. I had a bottle in my desk drawer just to sort of like get through it. It was a way to make money that I just found was torturous. Torturous and it was very bureaucratic. You know, and my, my addiction was just getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And part of the reason when my friends were like, you need to go get help. Part, part of the reason I agreed is because I can only to be a couple days off AAA. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I gotta get away from there. And then I went to rehab and, you know, they gave me this pad and pen and I just started writing and that's, and I wrote a book never intending to, you know, and now mm -hmm. my whole life is different. For our last question, I would say what, and I mean, I'll direct it to me, but also to anyone else who's young and black and might hear this or old and black and might hear this or middle and black and might hear this. But like, what, what advice do you have for someone that's early in sobriety or someone that's thinking about making this jump to our now very boring life? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, people have said that to me before. Aren't you bored now? And I'm like, yeah, but it's a good board. It's a good board. It's a good board. Like if your life is, if you're out of control and things are spinning around and you've heard something, you know, that you recognize in this conversation that we've had, just try to find a support system. You know, um, I was very lucky. You know, the one thing that AAA did for me was I had health insurance. That's another thing that, you know, that, that falls down racial lines as well. Um, but try to get to a meeting. Like, if, if you are tired, there is a way out, and it does get better. Um, and I guess that's the only advice that I, I have, you know, not necessarily profound, not nothing that anybody's not heard before. Um, but that's the simplest thing um, that could help you, you know, uh, to get out of active addiction. 
Brian, thank you. And congratulations again on nine years. Uh, nine years. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Um, but this has been amazing. Thank you so much. It really was a pleasure to be here. We'll have some resources for local folks looking to get help on their sobriety in our show notes. And you can meet Brian in a new free virtual workshop he's hosting on Thursday through the Cream Literary Society in West Palm Beach, Florida. A little transit news before you go. The moped rental company here, Scooby, is off the roads. A spokesperson for the city told the Post-Gazette that they got a call in June saying they'd be out of business by the summer. Scooby started strong in Pittsburgh in 2018, but rentals dropped a ton in the winter months. The city said they're looking for a replacement mobility option now. And the Pennsylvania Turnpike Commission approved a 5% toll increase for next year. It's only like... 10 or 30 cents a ride for most customers, but still it's another increase. The tolls have gone up every year since 2009, and they'll keep going up until, I can't even believe I'm saying this, 2050. (laughs) As always, PennDOT says it has to cover its own enormous compounding debt, which is much more than my student loan debt, so I don't feel as bad. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh please tell people about us. Share the show on social, put it in your stories, tell your grandma. We've got all the water signs over here. So, you know, we like attention and it's Leo season. We need the attention. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. So we'll see you then. I literally left a party the other day because I was like, I'm not getting enough attention. (laughs) I was like, there's five people here. I wore an outfit. I'm leaving. Like. <laughs>